The content in this program is for informational purposes only. You should not construe any information or other material as investment, financial, tax, or other advice. The views expressed by the participants are solely their own. A participant may have taken or recommended any investment position discussed, but may close such position or alter its recommendation at any time without notice. Nothing contained in this program constitutes a solicitation, recommendation, endorsement, or offer to buy or sell any securities or other financial instruments in any jurisdiction. Please consult your own investment or financial advisor for advice related to all investment decisions. Don't forget to follow at Lead Lag Report on Twitter to join these conversations live and check out the Lead Lag Report at www.leadlagreport.com. Use promo code PODCAST30 for two weeks free and 30% off to get access to award-winning research and anticipate stock market crashes, corrections, and bear markets. And now, on to our Lead Lag Live discussion hosted by Michael Guyad. Uh, so, Dale, introduce yourself to the audience. Um, who are you? What's your background? How did you get involved, interested in markets? And uh, what are some of the asset classes you focus on? Okay. Well, Michael, you know, uh, I've been around for a while. I'm still trying to figure out who I am. Uh, people could find me on Twitter at Forex Stop Hunter. I've been in the industry since the 70s. Uh, I remember when they were trading currencies on chalkboards at the Merck. So I've seen a lot. And uh, what a great day for you and I to have a conversation, Michael. Uh, it's been years and timing of talking about what's happening today. Uh, I know I follow you and you've been looking for a credit event. And if anyone wants to know what the credit event looks like, just pull up your TLT chart that's in free fall. And, uh, you know, it's all about confidence and I guess we needed Fitch to light the fuse of a confidence crisis. I already think that we had a sovereign debt crisis underway. Uh, I trade a lot of currency, metals, commodities, and indices. And uh, I think that we've reached an important inflection point. Inequities are trying to fight their way back. But uh, I think the nail in the coffin is going to be U.S. dollar yen heading lower and uh, sharply lower, and not because it's a strong currency, but has finally found uh, a reason to be bought along with what the BOJ is talking about, uh, safe haven buying coming in in a big way today. So uh, we put in the lower high in the yen, and uh, I think the yen has uh, uh, the yen itself uh, quite a ways to rise and the way we trade it. Uh, in FX is U.S. dollar yen, so trading at 42.30. 42 is important, Michael, and uh, if we ever take out 138, uh, all hell is going to break loose. So this puts pressure on the carry trade, makes it uh, uh, less efficient as you're paying more for both the uh, rates and the appreciation of the yen. Yeah, okay. So on the um, the, the credit event point, you know, yeah, I, I just put a tweet out. It's like there, there's a clear shock that's happening in the Treasury side right now. It could be temporary. It could be capitulation. And there are well, delays, right, in terms of how yeah. to risk assets. Yeah, I mean, there's tipping points. But, you know, uh, a lot of people have been trying to bottom pick the bonds. And, you know, some very smart people um, 
like the long side. Uh, I use uh, RSI a lot in my work, and if any trader just pulls up a weekly on TLT and they look back to October, they'll see that the RSI was 20 before we stabilized and had that little bounce and just moved sideways for about five months. Uh, Markets rarely put in lows and highs when momentum is confirming the move. And on the weekly chart, that was a confirmed low that we had in the fall last year. Perhaps at new lows will diverge on the weekly, but uh, I think 90 is well within sights. Um, I'm surprised with what the yen is doing, uh, that the bonds haven't even tried to recover much today. So new lows look like uh, a magnet and destiny to me in TLT under 90. And explain the interaction of the the carry trade, the yen and, and treasury demand, at least for a moment in time. Okay, well, you know, carry trade is what, uh, uh, you know, people go to uh, low interest rate currency to fund the trades of assets that they want to buy. And we all know what they've been buying, right? A lot of tech, um, you know, mainly uh, the market. Uh, And, you know, there's been talk about the move broadening out. Uh, uh, I heard a guy who you know, I talk to a lot of people. I've done well over a thousand interviews on the other side of the mic, and people were saying it's broadening out, but rotation isn't necessarily bullish. Uh, and that's what's been happening here for uh, the last few weeks, last month, uh, broadening out things like Caterpillar and Deer, uh, the old economy stocks starting to come back while tech has gotten heavy. And, uh, I think tech has, uh, even though I'm, I'm kind of surprised they're up today, I guess people still think that Apple is a bond. Uh, that's the way they look at a lot of tech stocks. They're not a bond. And maybe we'll find out uh, with earnings coming in later this afternoon. Now, I'm looking for a minimum of about 4200 uh, I doubt we could squeeze another high out of here. I mean, uh, 4,600 is, uh, the bear's last stand. Maybe we could go 4,620, but to me, it looks like a pretty negative reversal week and that you have to sell writs in this market. And the battleground to me is going to be at the 4,200 level. Uh, that's where when the market broke out, it became parabolic. Uh, that's when you had things like NVIDIA uh, going parabolic to the upside. Uh, NVIDIA hasn't made a new high in a month. I'm actually bearish NVIDIA. I think there's a chance that uh, we're going to do a gap fill in the coming weeks and months down around 320. So the dollar is the other important part of it. Um, we had what most classic technicians would have called a major breakdown. In the dollar, I think it was July 17th, because I did a, an interview um, and said that I was bullish the dollar. Uh, that's when we took out par uh, 90 a little double bottom, and it turned out to be a false breakout. I think there's plenty left uh, in the dollar. I'd be selling rips in euro and especially cable, uh, because I think the Dixie uh, eventually can work its way up towards a 108 level. Uh, so buy breaks in the dollar, 
sell rips in S&P. And uh, a lot of people probably disappointed uh, that gold isn't performing. I still think there's a shot for 1800 gold and $21 silver. That's when I'll be interested. Most likely not till the dollar peaked. So <clears throat> this is a classic example of uh, a bit of a crisis developing. Also, Michael, uh, are you surprised? Let me ask you. Uh, I know they weren't big banks, but both Heartland Bank and I believe PacWest failed over uh, la late last yeah. week. And uh, no coverage, zero coverage. And, uh, you know, I don't think that what's happening to the banking system is an accident. I actually think it's by design. And that Paul knew what all the banks were loaded up on before he uh, began his tightening regime, knew they'd have duration problems. And, you know, one of the most important financial or monetary, uh, monetary stories since Bretton Woods is right in front of us. And it's a CBDC. And not many people talk about it. I don't know a lot about CBDCs and what it's going to be like. But I do know one thing, that to sell it to the American public, you can't do it just by saying, well, you know, like during COVID, cash is dirty and it could spread disease and uh, they're going to need a confidence crisis and a lot of fear. So I think this banking crisis is by design for the Fed takeover of the banking system. And if you notice, CBDC is from the Fed. Uh, prior to this, all of our currency came from the Treasury. So to me, this is a takeover. And you're going to get uh, have to have people be afraid, which they already are. And that's why withdrawals are continuing to happen at money market uh, at banks and money market accounts are growing. Uh, people are buying bills or buying things, locking in rates. So there's already the beginning of a confidence crisis in the banking system. And I expect it to continue. And I think that is uh, another reason why the Fed will raise rates again. I'll tell you something, um, when the regional bank, you know, in quotes, crisis happened, I was very loud in saying, you know, we're in a pre-election year. Pre-election years are historically the strongest of the cycle, largely because of stimulus. So how do you, right. how do you stimulate, right, the economy when you have high inflation through a manufactured banking crisis, right? So, and that right. sounds conspiratorial, but it's funny, I had never, um, I'm not a big fan of kind of conspiracy theory. No. Right. But, 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 but I do think there is a logic to what you're saying. Right. Because it's true. It's like, you know, the, the Fed telegraphed it. Freaking Jamie Dimon said a storm is coming. I mean, they, they have regulators and, and they have boots on the ground. They must have been calling a hold of community banks saying, what's going on with your, your duration mismatch potential? It, 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 you're, you're correct. It seems almost, unless it's outright incompetence, which it could be, it seems almost. Uh, engineered. Right. It almost seems engineered. Yeah. It's an interesting thought process on that. And uh, Jamie brought up something else yesterday in an interview. You know, he thought the downgrade by Fitch was ridiculous, but he brought up what the regulators are doing. 
that could cause a problem, not just for regionals, but the big money center banks. I think it's cap requirements. Uh, you know, I'm not an expert in that uh, regulatory uh, legalese, but he did bring it up that it could be troublesome what the regulators are doing and uh, who the regulators work for, right? So, uh, you know, uh, Jamie Dimon's also, you know, he he called out that there could be more banking problems and he, he's pinning it on regulators. He also said that uh, uh, he he would recommend that Paul rethink his models. So, um, you know, smart guy. And so I, I expect uh, these banking problems to continue to grow. There'll be lulls in the action. And uh, I just think that this is a plan for us to get rid of paper uh, completely. There's been a war on cash forever now. Now they have the instruments. They set up FedNow. They're going to the CBDC unless uh, the American public, uh, and there are some politicians that are coming out against it. But, you know, as Americans, we don't like a lot of friction. So it may just be that, you know, uh, we'll agree to it because we're not going to fight it. But I still think it's going to take a major confidence crisis in our financial system to pull it off. Uh, so let, let's think through sort of the the movements in terms of the interaction of flight to safety currency. So you have a crisis. You know, it, let's say it's akin to an 08 right, banking crisis. Okay. Okay. So take us through what, what, how, how do currency markets uh, uh, anticipate or not anticipate, you know, how the, the GFC unfolded? And is there any kind of parallel? Where I'm going with that is if you have sort of a, a confidence crisis, history would suggest the dollar still gets bid up, certainly against the euro. Uh, the yen would rally relative to the dollar. But then where does that money actually go? If it's like international money that's going to the U.S. because of the flight to safety trade, it wouldn't go into banks then. You know, it could go into cash. It could eventually flow into things like this is a time for gold. But I, I think that uh, this risk off event is going to affect everything and that you really don't want to be long much except the dollar. and eventually bonds uh, uh, and the dollar. So, you know, I think uh, the euro has a chance to trade back near parity. Uh, cable trading at 127, I'd sell any rally, 128, 128 and a half. I'm looking for about 116, 114, and still think there's downside in commodity currencies like the Aussie. Um, 62, 62 and a half. So you just want to be long the dollar. Probably just in 90-day T-bills, uh, they don't have the TED spread anymore, but I bet it would be blowing out if they still had it. Um, and wait for the dust to clear. I think it's going to take until the fall, at least, uh, for things to get cheaper. So uh, I think that this, you know, you, this could be a great opportunity to get long some things after we have this liquidation and risk off, all risk assets are going to be under pressure. So it, we, you, people will be buying bonds, but you could just be in 90-day bills and not take any principal risk. I think that's where the money will go. It'll go into the dollar, uh, buying T-bills. What happens to 
X, X gold. What, what happens to commodities under that scenario? I mean, there's been a bit of a resurgence, right? The last few months kind of yeah. cost push inflation picking up again. Well, uh, you know, I think that uh, if I'm right about the dollar going to 108, that we're going to see 1800 gold. Um, I think what we had happening in uh, the energy market uh, yesterday, um, we started to have a little bit of a sell-off. Um, I don't think that this rally in crude has legs. Um, so I think we could see crude uh, again, possibly uh, trade back to new lows. And uh, the one commodity sector that I'm pretty positive on that keeps giving some false signals are going to be the grains because you can't print corn or wheat or beans. And I think that uh, what Russia is doing may not be showing impact right now, but there are other factors. Uh, August is the month where the bean crop is made. So if we don't have good weather, we're going to have problems. We don't have a big carryover of grains going into uh, next year. So we need a good crop. Australia has been fortunate with getting uh, a lot of rain the last several years for their wheat crop. Um, perhaps that string breaks, but they're not just calling it El Nino. They're calling it Grande El Nino. So I do expect some weather events uh, in the grain belt this summer, mainly not enough rain when they need it. So I, I think the grains are not economically sensitive like energy and copper. I know a lot of people, uh, uh, there are a lot of copper bulls out there because of, you know, green energy and the demand for copper. But uh, the copper to me looks like there's a possibility that during this sell-off that we have in the market, um, that if we take out 380, we could be looking at maybe 320 copper. So again, uh, if you're a copper bull, you're a gold bull, you're, a, you know, the silver squeeze guys are going to have to wait for a while, I believe. And uh, this could be, you know, maybe the last bus stop. So I, I'm looking to get aggressive in miners, uh, say around the 26th level in GDX. Uh, there's some juniors that I like. We're at 29, 28. So there still could be another 10% left in um, the miners to the downside or more, uh, depending upon if I'm right about my gold count. But I think eventually uh, silver miners are going to be, that's what I'm waiting for to buy are the miners in the fall. Not here. Uh, you know, cash is king for a while. You know, Mike, you, you've seen liquidity crises before. Uh, people will sell the kitchen sink to raise cash. So it's not a time to be long. It's a time to be flat and develop your list of what you think uh, has great long-term potential after we get through this. I actually think the market will continue lower longer than things like gold and the dollar. Uh, I think this decline could last into uh, the end of the year. And if we start taking out 4,200, next stop is 38. 
and under 38 is how you come up with about 3,000 S&Ps. That's my long-term objective. I've been, I've been pretty consistent on this idea that, which I get a lot of hatred on, that we're still in a bear market. Right? That I take issue with this idea that it's new bull market because, one, you only know that with hindsight, and you only know that if you've taken out the prior inflation-adjusted peak. So even if the S&P made a run for the nominal highs, it's nominal. Right, You still need like another 15% with inflation since November 2021 to technically know that you've been in a bull market all along. You've been at this for a long time, Dale. Um, there are always precursors, right? what I call the conditions, right, that favor something happening. Um, and it seems like this is almost coming out of nowhere. Although, you know, admittedly, it's not like the markets have utterly collapsed just yet, but clearly the collapse is happening in treasuries. If I'm right on the credit event, it should then, with a lag, finally filter through to credit spreads, which have been the stickiest, yeah. right, in terms of blowing out. That creates the VIX spike. That creates the, the capitulation that might end the bear market. And that also goes back to that's how you break the October lows. You need to have an event to, have, right. to break the momentum, having been as strong. But if, if you, if, I'll turn the question back, back to you that you just asked me, right? So in prior sort of you know, high-risk, tail-event type of, type of setups – What's similar and what's not compared to history? Because this one is arguably really interesting in that it's happening with uh, the fastest rate hike cycle ever. It it definitely is. So uh, I explain it as we've had a a cyclical bull within the secular bear. And I still think that that's uh, a possibility. But we got to about 78.6 back. Um, you know, sometimes you have to set the table. Uh, I think VIX has bottomed. Uh, we may have pullbacks, but, you know, I started looking at VIX at 13 and uh, and buying DS 25 calls. And I said, well, you know, what's a VIX doing down here? Uh, it's price for perfection and things aren't perfect. So, uh, you know, there were some technical reasons to do it, but uh, yeah, DSI at nine and at 11, uh, you know, if the if the bulls are right about a melt up and there are some guys that have been talking about it, not just recently, but, uh, you know, somewhat lower new highs uh, that this 46, 46, 20 is the bear's last stand. Uh, we take that out and then we're, you know, probably headed towards 5,400 something like that. Uh, You know, there's also a lot of geo stuff out there uh, happening that uh, the market has really completely ignored. Uh, I mean, the escalation is continuing uh, in Ukraine. Um, You know, we're sending everything that they need. Uh, We're going to have an election year that's going to be completely uh, Rod Serling could not have written the narrative for what we're going to see next year. I, I, I personally want to move out of the U.S. for a year. Right? Okay, well, where are you going to go? I don't know. I feel like we got to like start a campaign for those that just don't want to be a part of the shit show. I, you know what? I've been thinking about it. I'm not sure where to go, but I'd rather be watching it on a flat screen than uh, being in the middle of it uh, in a high population density area. So uh, let me know what you decide to do. <laughs> but yeah, I think that uh, next year is going to be very difficult. And if the market's a discounting mechanism, it's going to happen before next year. 
Uh, I think that uh, we're down, you know, most breaks, Mike, from, from the highs, uh, the meat of the move happens within seven or eight weeks. So uh, I think we're going to know a lot more by the uh, fall equinox, uh, late September. Uh, and that's about eight weeks from seven, eight weeks from when this thing got started. Uh, so, you know, I think that people should realize one thing. You don't have to trade. Uh, you don't always have to be a speculator. At times, it's okay to be a spectator, especially if you're not a professional that really knows how to manage risk and definitely uh, not using leverage or reducing leverage greatly and also having knowing when you get into something how much you're you know, manage your risk, uh, where are you wrong? Where are you wrong and what are you looking for? Uh, if you can't answer those questions, why am I getting in? Where am I wrong? If I'm right, what am I looking for? You shouldn't even click your mouse, is my view. So, uh, you know, I think there's going to be some lessons learned uh, here again, and 4,200 is going to be a very interesting uh, battleground if we see it. So um, I would just, you know, when in doubt, out for most people. I don't think they're going to miss much. We'll be back after a quick break. Hello, listeners. Michael Guyad here from Lead Lag Live. Are you ready to take a deep dive into market trends, risk management, and investment strategies? then you need the Lead Lag Report. Our in-depth analysis helps you understand the financial markets like never before. And guess what? We're giving you a chance to experience it at a discounted rate. Visit theleadlag.report slash leadlaglive and get an exclusive 30% off on your subscription. Don't miss out. Level up your investment game with the Lead Lag Report. And now, back to our discussion. Matt from uh, on the on the space is saying the place to go to is Costa Rica, uh, okay. which is not a bad. Yeah, I could do that. Yeah, you know, I, I have definitely uh, never been there, but I, everyone I know loves it there. So you know, the summers might be a little rough uh, temperature wise, but good idea, Matt. Uh, I I give you a thumbs up on that. Well, what do you think about um, about? I don't know if you track Bitcoin, but hey, what do I you do. Know? Bitcoin. So, so it's because I think people are surprised by yeah, how loud now I'm starting to get on Bitcoin. Not because I've turned into a maxi, but yeah, throughout the last two years, I, I, I attacked repeatedly the store value narrative, the inflation hedge narrative, the idea that it's, you know, it's, it should be seen as an investment with tail risk, not necessarily as something that's stable. So you have to weight it accordingly. And I think largely I've been right on that, especially as the kind of mania was taking place, you know, a couple of years ago. But one of the things that you often hear is, you know, Bitcoin is just a levered play on the NASDAQ. It's very, very correlated. Well, that hasn't worked for months. Right. That's my point. Right. So that's where yeah. I want to go. Right. So so I, I if if the credit event thesis is correct, and again, it's conditions, it doesn't mean it's guaranteed to happen, but the odds favor, right? Do you think that Bitcoin diverges? I mean, I personally think that you could have uh, – it doesn't have to be a situation where Bitcoin necessarily surges, but could just hold its ground while other risk assets break. I think it's going to get caught up in the liquidation break. And, uh, you know, I, I can definitely see potential for 20,000 uh, Bitcoin, and I wouldn't rule out a retest of the major area that it came out of uh, 
about 14, 15,000. I know some guys are looking for under 10, but uh, that's something that I'm looking to buy after this uh, risk event, credit event, whatever you want to label it happens that um, I'd be looking at Bitcoin. What I like about Bitcoin is look at what you just said. I want to get out of the U.S. for a year. Uh, there's nothing more portable. Uh, you know, I, I don't know about price discovery. I've talked to some people that say fair value is 56. But, um, you know, the only price discovery I have is uh, what are the technicals telling me? Um, I've never bought Bitcoin, but I'm planning on buying it because of the portability feature and as a hedge against this uh, CBDC. But lower. Yeah, it's the when and when, right? When to buy. Yeah, when. the timing. You know, the uh, the art of trading is not the if; it's always the when. That's the art. So uh, I'd wait for at least twenty thousand. Which goes back to what I I say ad nauseum: path matters more than prediction. And you know, it's not only price too. Yeah, path is a, a great metaphor because. A week or so ago, I was looking to short the end at, uh, you know, I thought we'd only get back to 40 and a half, 41. And the way it got there gave me pause because it was confirming the highs. But we've reached to, uh, the last day or so up at this uh, 43.80 level, 42.80 level, we did diverge. Okay, so I don't like to fight and top pick things unless I have momentum shifts. And uh, we're finally getting one in the end. So uh, this is if you pull up your your daily chart, you'll see a failing rally, an outside day to the downside. Um, you're wrong over today's highs if you enter shorts. Uh, I could see us uh, if we take out uh, 138. I think we're going to the low 130s. And I wouldn't be surprised if you pull up a weekly and we have equality from the last break when the BOJ actually had to intervene, right? Last fall. And that's also when the bonds bottomed. So, you know, you could be looking for a bond bottom, but I look at the US dollar yen and I could make a case for 120 from 142. Yeah. And, and the, as I understand it, the CFTC speculative short positioning is like stupid. I mean, the, the best, yeah. uh, there's, there's a short squeeze potential at the market. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, everywhere. And look, the market's still bearish a dollar. And we're getting a little rally. I'm looking at my screen right now. Uh, I want to buy every dip in the dollar. You know, we've had a nice run of about, I don't know, 300 points, buy 50% pullback, 101 or so would be a, an ideal place to try it. And uh, be patient. And uh, or if you're aggressive, buy bearish ETFs. Okay, by you know, uh, uh, you know things that could take advantage of the downside. Uh, I actually like and uh, the SQQQ. I mean, it's not for the faint of heart. Um, you know, I I like the VIX. Uh, so there are ways to play the downside, and I think that's where the you know, the money's going to be in the coming months, Michael, at least for two months, should this high hold. We take out the recent high. Uh, I'm wrong. And that, that wouldn't be a, new, a newsflash because I'm wrong a lot. 
And there's times I'll, uh, I don't know. Uh, so when I don't know, I'm not afraid to tell people I don't know. When I was a younger guy, I felt like I had to know, even if I didn't. And I would, you know, come up with something. But, you know, there's wisdom in admitting you don't know, because I've learned that there could be a period where it's IDK. And if you're patient, the picture will clear up for you. So uh, no one knows all the time. Uh, and we we really never know, but we can see probabilities. And when we can't see, you know, it could go either way. Um, you know, I don't know. Uh, the only thing I would do is put a volatility spread on by puts, by calls, because it's going to come out of here one way or the other. But, you know, it's okay to um, not know, and everyone's wrong. Uh, the difference between pros and amateurs are pros know how to lose, so they have money left to be right with. Yeah, and I, 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 I tweet that out um post that out. It's all Twitter rebranding anything kills me on how to refer to things. But I always say, you know, uh, amateurs look to the right of the equal sign, pros look to the left, right? Mm -hmm. Sort of the conclusion versus the what goes into it. And the, look you know, left. As a trader, uh, you know, a lot of people don't even know that simple thing about looking left in the market because that's where the market's memory is. So if you're only looking right to where you think things can go and you're ignoring the left side of your chart, you're leaving a lot of gold on the table, a lot of priceless uh, areas of former support or where a market broke out. And I mean, you could go back months and years and find these levels uh, that the market will remember when it reaches it. We'll be back after a quick break. Foodies unite with How You Dish. It's social media with a secret sauce. Food, the world's first network for food enthusiasts. How You Dish connects foodies across the world. Share kitchen tips and recipe hacks. Discover hidden gem food joints and street food. Find foodies like you. Connect, chat, and organize meetups. How You Dish makes it simple to connect through food anywhere in the world. So, how do you dish? Download How You Dish on the Apple App Store now. Speaking about looking left, which is basically going back in time, it's amazing to me how seemingly everyone forgot that there are lags on interest rate policy. It's like, yeah, and, and, and seemingly everyone forgot that the yield curve is still screaming recession, right? I mean, yeah. none of this matters until stock prices go down. When stock prices are going up, nobody cares about the stuff which never changed, right? And so it's because the narrative always follows that. Um, yeah. do, you, do you think that... Um, I, it's interesting, right? Because there's two disconnects, right? You've got the message of the stock market relative to the yield curve, and you've got the message of credit spreads relative to the yield curve, right? Um, would you would you say, you know, as it, let's let's play it out. Let's say the something big happens, you know, a tail events out there. When would you know it's close to being over? You're never going to get the exact low. I mean, for me, I, I you know, to your point about it's actually where there could be a really good setup. To me, it's like, all right, if junk debt yields up yielding 15, 20%. Right on average, yeah. okay. you know what that yeah. that's that's a hell of an opportunity because there there's going to be inevitably an overreaction if there's an event around default risk. So you'll get the the less liquid, high yield junk debt issuances really getting slammed, which becomes a really good opportunity. You can get some good income, right? Assuming that things don't go bust all at once, obviously. But what would be some of the markers for you know the 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 risk being not as elevated or, or at least over? Well, 
Uh, first of all, I think that uh, TLT is going to make new lows. Uh, I think there could be a flight to quality rally uh, in bonds and notes, but I'm looking for four nine uh, tenure by the end of the year. So, uh, you know, I, I think that rates could stay high. And a lot of people don't understand that, you know, it's not because of uh, inflation or growth. The problem is supply. Okay. So you could have a liquidity crisis and rates go up because there's not enough demand. The Fed's going to have, I don't know who else is going to buy this uh, offering besides the Fed. Um, so they're going to have to come in and do something, but you know, they the market's still at 4,500. They're not going to do anything until we're, you know, 20, 30% lower. Uh, and they're going to have to do something because, uh, interest costs on the debt is going to, it, it can't be, it can't be handled. And, you know, kind of the tip off was, and I asked a lot of people, you're a great guy to ask. So uh, TLT, when you line up the charts between TLT and, say, uh, LQD and HYG, junk had the strongest pattern, followed by uh, corporate, then followed by treasuries, which is the opposite of what it used to be for most of my career. Which, by the way, can I just say real quick, like, go ahead, you're, you're yeah. describing perfectly my health. And, and people will say, oh, you know, that's because it's the end of the 40-year bond bull market. I, I don't buy that because I can show plenty of times historically prior to the 80s where you still had that flight to safety trade. But I guess the, the, the question is, when does that really kick in? Now, you, you, you saw that momentarily in March because yeah. if you remember, right, the yeah. regional banks happened and then, you know, TLT as a proxy, right, went up right. in price as markets were going down. That was You had a little glimpse of that flight to safety trade. Um, I guess the question is, is what's happening here in treasuries? Is it is it is it first and then stocks are after? Right. Is, is it a lag response by equities? Because, you know, it's like a wily coyote. Yeah. Doesn't the stock market is not believing what's happening around it. It's not believing it's not getting the memo that we might be in a credit event now. Yeah. Well, you know, uh, I just found it ironic and kind of confirms the sovereign part of the debt crisis. That's not only happening here, it started with the gilts in the UK. So it's a global sovereign debt problem. And it's so ironic that people would buy junk, believing that they have a better chance of being repaid than buying treasuries. Well, would you why this whole thing is so insane to me? Even like you alluded to before, the idea that Apple is yeah. safe. Bond. It's a yeah, it's a bond. Who, who, <laughs> it's a, it's a, the United States government owns us through through taxation. So if right. it's, like Jimmy Diamond said, I think yesterday, um, and I made this point. It's also the same reason why in 2011, on the downgrade, yields actually fell after S&P downgraded. Yeah, if the U.S. government's credit quality is shit, everything yeah. else has to be shit because they own us. They just need they're going to tax us more, including Apple. They'll find a way. Yeah, unless China does something before that, right? So I, and I don't know why we keep poking the tiger in the eye, but uh, that's another story. They're launching this new currency uh, late August. I don't know much about it, but, you know, they're trying to be king. So we'll see what happens with that. Uh, I just uh, I remember uh, t 
talking to a guy, Martin Armstrong. He's not really that public anymore, but uh, I've, I've been trying. I've, I've been trying to get him on a. All right, he's he's great. Uh, you know his pie model, but uh, he talked about sovereign bond crisis. Uh, you know, back then when Greece was having problems, the European crisis, and uh, his models say it starts in Europe first, which the gilts did. And then it travels to Asia, and maybe that's what's going to happen with the yen and JGBs. And then finally washes upon the shores of the U.S. because we're still, I hate the expression, but I'll use it, the cleanest dirty shirt out there. So uh, I don't know when, uh, I'm looking at LQD right now, and uh, it looks like it could wash out to new lows. HYG. I don't know if it, it will. Um, it's so far off the COVID lows compared to everything else. And, you know, we had a credit event in 2021, Michael. I mean, look at where TLT was. That was the worst bear market in bonds I've seen in my whole career. It wasn't that a credit event. Well, by, by the way, you, you're, I had put out that stat before. It's like if you were to take the drawdown in long duration treasuries, the drawdown started actually in like July 2020. Right, it was like as the you know as we were kind of getting off of the lockdowns. So if you think that the magnitude of the drawdown in duration treasuries, it would rank it among the fifth largest declines for the stock market, for the stock market in history going back to the Great Depression. So right. I, I reference that from a, just for perspective, right? That it's like I don't know if people really understand the kind of shock that happens, right? Especially last year. And understand, let alone the shock, but how there are delays in terms of when the shock hits everything else. Yeah, and and you know, it's not just regional banks. How about pension funds that had to, uh, because of uh, you know uh, suppression, had to go out and take risks that they normally wouldn't, and they're still not. I think Calpers still didn't get to their mark of eight percent, and who knows what they own. And, you know, there could be, you know, our guarantees for pensions. I think uh, President Biden sent some, uh, uh, made a payment to help the Teamsters uh, about six months ago with their pension. So we also have a pension crisis. And, you know, there's one scene. I actually didn't think that I was just to be uh, contrarian. I didn't think they'd come up with a debt deal. But, you know, there's that one scene that keeps resonating and i keep seeing it in my head where president biden made the address from the oval office his first one and underneath him it said financial crisis averted and it should have been mission accomplished yeah exactly it should have been financial crisis delayed so uh you know we're in it and, uh, you know, you could call it a crisis. You could call it an opportunity. Um, you know, uh, there are a lot of things that haven't fallen apart yet. Uh, so, you know, there's plenty of trading opportunities. But I think, you know, this action in bonds, and they're not coming back because the market's coming back. So I'm looking for TLT to make a new low, Michael. We're only five handles away. So, uh, you know. Then we might have some divergences. But this, to me, in Elliott terms, was a four, right? Which means that we're in a five. And, you know, maybe it's a triangle, which means this 
next thrust down is terminal. So I think that there will be uh, a bottom in these uh, bonds, but at new lows. And if you pull up your weekly TLT charts, everyone who's listens to us now or later, just put a simple 14-day RSI up on a weekly, and you'll see it's at 20. I don't think we're going to get to those momentum levels. I mean, we could be there by Monday, Tuesday at new lows, the way they're trading now. We'll be back after a quick break. Are you an alternative investment company looking to expand your reach and share your expertise with a wider audience? Look no further. Podcasting You is here to help you shine in the world of podcasting. At Podcasting You, we specialize in connecting alternative investment companies with top podcasts, providing you with a platform to share your insights, strategies, and success stories with engaged audiences. Don't miss the opportunity to elevate your company's presence in the podcasting sphere. Contact Podcasting You today and let us help you secure valuable podcasts appearances that can take your business to the next level. Visit our website to learn more and take the first step towards podcast guesting success. Go to podcastingyou.com today. In 2020, I was on fire with a lot of the kind of broad analysis. I said, you know, I think we're going to crash late February. I said first week of March 2020, I think towards the end of March would mark the low based on the signals I'm known for. And then yeah, here comes the COVID-19 bubble. That's how I framed it back then. But I had this idea in 2020, which obviously didn't play out in the way that I thought, that uh, bonds would crash first than stocks. Arguably, you didn't have a really a crash in the sense of, um, you know, like a one or two day type of events, right? right? But I do wonder now if I, you know, uh, if you, if that scenario still is is likely and maybe even starting now. I mean, you have this real collapse suddenly in treasuries. And then again, the delay stocks respond. You were, I'm assuming, trading throughout 87. As I recall, the 10-year was rising. And the dollar was falling. We had disintermediation for a while. Right. And then as I recall, it was maybe two to three weeks before the 87 crash itself, yields were dropping. So suddenly the 10-year started almost sensing something was coming. So I don't know. I just wonder if that, yeah, similar type of setup. That could be it. Right. That could be it. You know, we'll see it. Uh, I think we'll see it uh, first in the tenure. And, you know, like I said, we could be at new lows in TLT by early next week. And maybe that's going to be it. Maybe the market holds together through earnings. Maybe Apple gives the street something to cheer about or maybe earnings are okay. But, uh, you know, the market can't, uh, you know, it's interesting in in 87 also, um, it was the dollar was falling. Okay, that was the difference. The dollar was falling. Um, that's a lot different than '87. Uh, we didn't have this kind of leverage. Um, we didn't have this. We weren't in a rising. Uh, you know, I mean, rates were going up, but the dollar was falling. So now the dollar's going up. Uh, I think that only exacerbates like a, a downward little whiff of deflation spike. Uh, so you never know. Uh, it's kind of like you could have uh, a snowstorm all over the mountains, and it looks like there should be an avalanche, and it's that last snowflake that's right. the tipping point. Right. And so I think that, uh, you know, just looking at what I'm seeing, dollar rallying, um, bonds, uh, capitulation, low happening here, 
the first signs of uh, some weakness in tech, uh, which led the way up. And, and if it's going to lead the way up, I think it leads the way down. So there are some. Well, it, it, it almost has to, right? So I've, I've made yeah. that point before. So, so in behavioral finance, there's this concept called the disposition effect. So okay. you, you look at the, the when, when faced with a margin call or when faced with uncertainty, people, the first thing that people sell is not uh, their losers because they want to get back to break even relative to the price they paid. They want to sell their winners. I right. do it. Right. Everyone, it's, it's, it's a big, right. Cause hey, you know, I made gains. I might as well take some off the profit, you know, to cover my, my losses. So my point is, okay. So you look at a year like this year, the, the, it's very clear where the gains are. The Magnificent right. Seven, which were the leaders, suddenly became the, become the source of liquidity from yeah, the, like the Nifty 50. Right. Right. Which I, which I put that tweet out and like I, some idiotic trolls were saying, oh, look at this guy talking about how Nvidia can bring down the whole stock market. No, that's actually exactly what I'm talking about. It's the disposition effects, the behavioral response, right? When faced with uncertainty to get out of your winners and things like NVIDIA and the other Magnificent Seven, I mean, those are the target. Well, the gap is filled in NVIDIA down around 315. And the 200-day uh, moving average is coming in at uh, about 270. And if we get through four and a quarter, that move is underway. So we've had a couple of, uh, let me just, uh, I'll put this out here. So NVIDIA put in its high on uh, the 14th of July, okay? And the markets made successive higher highs, the S&Ps, until this week. And NVIDIA has made two more attempts to make a new high unsuccessfully. And even if it does, the momentum divergence will be so negative, I would sell more. So, uh, you know, I, I think that people are going to see what can happen. I, you know, Apple, NVIDIA, uh, you know, AMD doesn't look so great to me back under 110. Uh, you can see 80. Amazon, I think they have earnings tonight. That looks like it's exhausted, too. So, you know, maybe we'll be at four, <laughs> uh, Tuesday we'll be at 4,600, but I doubt it. So I think this is a rip to sell. Uh, looking at the S&Ps, uh, if I go inner day, uh, I would just read, I would draw some fibs. 4480 is really needed to be taken out to confirm this, but I'd be a seller uh, back at around 45 and a half, 4560 uh, with stops over the high of the move. 4540, 4560 if we got there. I think 40 would uh, be uh, more or less a number. 40, 60 stops over the high of the move, which was what, 46, 10. So that's how I'd approach the market. And maybe we get, you know, two, three day bounce while bonds are cratering here. And then the worm turns next week, Michael. But the, the yen is convincing me because um, I thought that as long as the yen, US dollar yen held together, um, the market might have a chance. But the signal I'm getting here, sell rips to 143 in U.S. dollar yen if you get it. And uh, the dollar signal, I think, um, we're not going to make a new low in the dollar. So there might be, you know, sometimes you could already have made a low in the dollar, uh, high in the yen, but then you get the correction of that first wave up in the dollar and the market takes advantage of that. That may be what we're seeing right now is that the dollar weakens because it's been a pretty good move over two and a half weeks. Dollar weakens for a few days and the market 
take some, um, you know, some confidence in that. But the dollar has bottom. And I'm not a dollar bull. I'm not a milkshake guy. I'm not looking for 130, 140. Um, uh, I think the dollar is going to have, will be the sacrificial lamb to make the market recover. But that's going to be from the Dixie uh, 108 to 110 level. Then I think we could be talking about sub 90 in the Dixie. So this is like an event to me. It's almost like a tornado. Okay. Tornado blowing in. And, you know, there'll be some time to repair and rebuild. But I think the majority of uh, the high winds are the next two months. Dale, for those who are um, listening on uh, Twitter, on the space, I sort of want to pull the app now. Uh, where, where, where can people find some more of your, uh, your thoughts and content and, and analysis? Okay, well, um, I host a free webinar every day. In fact, Michael, you and I will be talking tomorrow morning, uh, you know, to uh, see what the NFP, yeah, I forgot we have the NFP tomorrow, but it's at Forex Analytics. The show is called Face. It's a Forex uh, Analytics community experience, and that's from um, 8.30 a.m. to 9.30 a.m. Eastern time. And my uh, commentary and technical work is on tradegatehub.com where you know i'm head of trader development there so you could catch my my stuff there and uh really enjoy talking to you on such an important time in history that we have here michael and uh uh let's make hay i appreciate it everybody thanks for joining i'll do this uh, i'll have this as an edited podcast soon enough uh well-timed conversation with a real uh, uh pro in the uh, in the industry so uh, I will try to retweet one of Dale's uh, more recent tweets. So you can at least follow him on uh, platform and hopefully I'll see you all later. Uh, thank you, Dale. Appreciate it. Hey, I enjoyed it, Michael. Great to talk to you again. I learned from you today as well. Thank you. The content in this program is for informational purposes only. You should not construe any information or other material as investment, financial, tax, or other advice. The views expressed by the participants are solely their own. A participant may have taken or recommended any investment position discussed, but may close such position or alter its recommendation at any time without notice. Nothing contained in this program constitutes a solicitation, recommendation, endorsement, or offer to buy or sell any securities or other financial instruments in any jurisdiction. Please consult your own investment or financial advisor for advice related to all investment decisions. Don't forget to follow at Lead Lag Report on X, Instagram, Threads, and YouTube, and check out the Lead Lag Report at www.leadlagreport.com. Use promo code PODCAST30 for two weeks free and 30% off to get access to award-winning research and anticipate stock market crashes, corrections, and bear markets.